Well, hello there. You are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. I am indeed your gracious and your grateful host, hopefully for an extremely long time. How are you doing tonight, today, this evening, 4 a.m., wherever you may be? I hope you are well. I am doing quite well, as a matter of fact. Thanks for asking. Very kind of you. So my friend, Mr. Michael Lee Simpson, the producer of this little thing that we have, told me that apparently we are in our second season. I didn't even know that was a thing. I I had no idea. I guess that uh, 30 seasons, uh, 30 shows connotates a season, and now we are well into, apparently, our second season. I am sad that I missed that little mark. I could have made some hay with it. Didn't. Uh, did think about this, though, that uh, second seasons traditionally can be either uh, good or bad. Bad, for example, uh, I fervently believe that the first season of Walking Dead, amazing. Zombies, come on. Atlanta, city, it was great. Then second season, we're going to go into a quiet farm. Nah, I don't know about that. Lost, second season, I was lost in the first season, ladies and gentlemen. I got even crazier. <laughs> But uh, my favorite second season, I think, of all time is uh, the David Lynch show, the Twin Peaks, lovely Twin Peaks original series, and the second season was completely batshit insane, so perhaps that shall be my path as well. Here, my friend also told me that last time I checked, we were at 14 countries, and that we were listening to the show, that makes no sense to me. Apparently, now we're at 31, ladies and gentlemen, 31 countries. What the what? What is happening here? This is bananas to me, but I'm absolutely having fun. So as I often like to do, I'm going to call out a particular country, listening to the sound of my voice. And that one is Turkey, ladies and gentlemen, Turkey, for the part of the show I like to call the International High Five Section. I will play a little bit of your national anthem, talk about some fun facts before I do that. I have been to that lovely city of Istanbul in Turkey. Uh, my late wife and I were able to go there via a lovely cruise that she won on Wheel of Fucking Fortune. She won on Wheel of Fortune. Ten grand cruise time. Absolutely magical. Wonderful time. And the city, my God, you wonderful people out there. The calls to prayer at 6 a.m. and the bazaars and the food. It was unbelievable. So I'm going to play the national anthem of your fabulous country. Here we go. It's kind of a hard end, folks. Brace yourself. Here it comes. And rock. Turkey, let's talk about some fun facts about you. It turns out that... What they call turquoise is actually from Turkey. They uh, means Turkish stone, apparently. It's a mineral that came from Europe via Turkey. And I guess they were first used as amulets by Turkish soldiers. How cool is that? Turkish women could leave their husbands for coffee. This is incredible. A few hundred years ago, even up to 100 years ago, Turkish women had legal grounds. Get it? Grounds? Coffee? To get a divorce if their husbands couldn't provide them with enough coffee. Incredible. And my favorite part, actually, about uh, Turkey, specifically Istanbul, I guess, is the famous song, Istanbul, not Constantinople, originally done by the four lads, then later covered by the incredibly dorky They Might Be Giants. Why do I know this? Because I'm an incredibly dorky person. I love that band. Istanbul, not Constantinople, not Istanbul, not Constantinople. <laughs> That's all I got. Turkey, what a wonderful country you are. And look at that. Perfect timing. The song is done. I couldn't have done that any better. Why do I bring up Turkey? 
because of the fantastic and wonderful conversation I had with the lovely and talented Sarah Hennessy. Sarah Hennessy is a producer. She's an actress. She's a writer. She's got this absolutely fantastic film called The Surprise Visit. It came out recently, and it's about addiction and the families, and it's got Eric Roberts, ladies and gentlemen. So we talked a lot about Eric Roberts. Star 80, boom, runaway train with John Voight. Are you kidding me? Best train, train movie ever. Wonderful time. We talked about drug addiction as well. That is a part of uh, my story and also how it can rip families apart, like it shows very well in the film. reason I brought up Turkey was because also Sarah worked in Turkey for quite some time on Turkish operas or soap operas t- TV. I didn't know it. It was like a, it's like a huge thing. It's like telenovelas in the Latin world. Wonderful stories about that. So we got into a lot of other fun topics, talked about a great story about Dustin Hoffman and Sir Lawrence Olivier all about method acting, funny story ever. So as always, I truly hope that you enjoy this as much as I did making it. I had a wonderful time. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to go listen to this crazy national anthem now from Turkey again. It's got some real drama and some theater to it. My goodness. I hope you're doing well. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. Dazzled throng. I have with me the lovely and talented Sarah Hennessy. Did I pronounce that right, Sarah? That sounds perfect, Jeff. Okay. I get the gold star already for the interview. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on this thing. This is going to be a hoot. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Of course. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this. You know, we've, I know we talked earlier and we've been, Got some things to discuss, but the first thing that I like to always ask at the beginning of said interview is the following. When you were younger, Sarah, what was the first thing that inspired you when you were a kid? Was it a movie or a film or a book or what do you got? Um, movies. Movies, for sure. I um, I can't name one particular one. I, I used to love to dance, so I used to love watching dancing films like, you know, the old Hollywood, you know, Golden Age uh, with, like, Rita Hayworth, uh-huh. and, you know, and Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire, and that was a big escape for me. And um, The NeverEnding Story, I think, is a film that I remember from my childhood because it was about escape and yeah. – uh, I guess I had to lot, 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 lot to escape in my childhood. A you. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. I think movies because it was a, it was um, otherworldly to me. It was a, it was being transported to a different time and place, and and um, and I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Uh, I'm curious, actually, specifically on the never-ending story which I haven't heard from or about in, you know, ever. (laughs) John is remembering that movie, that kid on riding a Treyu and all that. But there was something Uh so magical about those kinds of films, especially when you were younger, right? Because they were transport yourself into some other place that you obviously Mm -hmm. were, you know, you weren't where you were a kid and Uh filled filled with fantasies. Was there another, now I'm curious, was there another kind of a similar movie, like an escape movie when you were a kid? Um, and not escape, but um, I think Flashdance was another one. Interesting, um, because it was it was a woman triumphing against the odds, and 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 her passion was dance, and uh, you know she showed the world that she could do it from a different place. 
you know, she, she didn't have, you know, an elitist ballet, you know, training. And she came from a very different background, but she, and she triumphed against the odds and, um, in a world made of steel and stone. <laughs> steel and stone. You're right. And it's true. I didn't think about this, too, that you're right. Jennifer Beals in that movie, she was a welder. And that wasn't exactly uh-huh. a feminine uh, job, mm-hmm. per se. So there was a little bit of a back and forth on that. Jennifer Beals. No, no that, it that wasn't. Song stuck in my head. Uh-huh. Sorry? <laughs> I said, now I got both songs stuck in my head. I got the Irene. <laughs> and, and Michael Cimbello's Maniac. So I've got those both in my head. Aha, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> I don't really know why I know this, but apparently that song was originally written about a serial killer, Maniac, actually. <laughs> then they just moved it over to Flashdance. Wow, I did not know that. That is, oh, wow, that's disturbing. <laughs> I know too many things. Um, <laughs> Flashdance, wow. That's great. And, and, and you know, I, I, I asked those questions, honestly, at the beginning of these things, because it kind of does set the stage sometimes for what the rest of their life looked like. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. given that context, would you say that those earlier films of escape or whatever that looked like, how would you say that that may have influenced your continued work in uh, in acting in the arts? Well, I started off as a dancer. I never thought I'd act. And that kind of fell into my lap. And for, you know, I mean, it was a hobby. I mean, I'd been on stage since uh, as, as an actor since the age of 15, but it was youth theater. And I looked at it as a hobby and then it happened kind of i um i went to visit my 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 parents uh, um country in um my early 20s or i would think i think it was like 19 uh, but i became a a beauty queen and then i got offers yeah and i and i was a science student mind you <laughs> <laughs> I had no intention of doing this as I, I just thought of it as a as a fun hobby that I, I enjoyed doing, um, but I guess the um, the difficulties that I kind of overcame as a child um, they made me um, well what doesn't kill you makes you stronger right and they kind of made me very strong in dealing with. Um, well, when I first started, there was, you know, there was no Me Too movement. There was a lot of toxic male energy mm-hmm. and it was difficult. And especially, you know, being in Turkey and um, being, didn't, not having those kind of, that kind of protection um, that female actresses now enjoy um, because I didn't have that kind of crew around me. I had to basically watch my own ass. Right. <laughs> For want of a better word, sure. and uh, and stay alive, and keep work, and and keep working, and stay alive. So, I I'd probably been in survival mode for about twenty years of my life, um, and I and it wasn't all hard. I mean, I I enjoyed great success. There were times where you know I, I got flown around on private jets when you know and and all of that. Um, but um, but when I decided to come to America. And uh, start all over again. I had to start from scratch, and uh, and it was difficult. So it made me it made me stronger. I mean, obviously, art was um, a um, a kind of escape for me. It was something I found a lot of joy in in creating and creativity, and it's it's still my biggest joy in creating you know characters. Um, but it gave me an escape. Um, but, um, the physical aspects of my life just made me 
very strong and tough and, uh, and uh, able to persevere when everybody else around me kind of gave up and they thought it's too difficult. And I was like, well, in my uh, dictionary, difficult doesn't, or imp- they were, they would say, Oh, it's impossible. You, you know, you're successful here. Stay here. Why are you, why are you going there? And, you know, everybody's waiting tables there and it's impossible. It's impossible. That's what they said to me. And I said, well, in my dictionary, impossible doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, I think it, it, the, the, those two things kind of went hand in hand. I had a healthy escape of creativity, but I also had the toughness and, and the will and want to survive and make it. And I think that's what great about a lot of art. And that's actually why I asked that first question is because, you know, art can be um, an escape. And as I mentioned earlier, when we were talking before we recorded, I think that art is a ladder to God, right? And that's the same concept of escaping. So I guess the question mm-hmm. is, if you're willing to, we can go into as much as you want, obviously. What were you escaping from? Um, <laughs> well, I, I suffered abuse as a child. I'm sorry. And eh, it's okay. I've dealt with it. And um, and I had a mother who had a borderline personality disorder. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. So, and an abusive stepfather and an errant father. So, you know, when we, sometimes we do these meditations and they always say, like therapists always say, well, imagine a safe place from your childhood. And I'm like, well, I didn't have one. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of um, raised myself, <laughs> you know, um, for want of a better word. And um, it's, um, yeah, just, uh, I, at school, I think it, it, it drove me into, um, um, what's a word I'm looking for, um, into succeeding. Like I was, I was very, very a driven student. I was top of my class every year. Um, so it, it, it drove me into working, 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 working. And, um, and I didn't re- cause I didn't really have time to process, you know, all of the pain and hurt. And, you know, again, I was in survival mode and I, I wasn't an unhappy person. Like I, I, you know, I never, you know, people always would say to me, Oh, I'm in a depression. I'd be like, I don't have the time or luxury to be in a depression. I got to go work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I never really dealt with them because I just threw myself into working. And it's only actually during the time of this, uh, this um, pandemic that I've had the luxury of, well, not having to work for a living, um, and then also um, being able to examine all those things, and um, I think it's it's and 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 and, um, and facing them head on and um, not burying them, and I think it's led me to a better place. It sounds like it, and you know, I just I just realized something as I was talking to you. Um, you know, artists traditionally, or perhaps yeah, historically, have uh, some challenging backgrounds. And I just, I just realized this whole thing about escape through art or ladder to God through art or whatever that is, mm-hmm. is probably mm-hmm. because people have had artists have had challenging backgrounds and then they go into the arts to escape from there. That may be part of the reason. For sure. I, I've spoken to other active friends about this and they've always said like acting is a form of therapy because it's a way to, you know, uh, touch those spots that you might otherwise not. And, um, I remember I was in a um, a workshop with 
John Ruskin, who was a great Meisner teacher, and we had to one day do this exercise where we got to be in a room with anybody, living or dead, that we wanted to have it out with, you know, to face, to reconcile. And some people had happy memories and, you know, and, and joyful ones that they, you know, wanted to thank a person that had passed from their life for whatever joy they bought them. And, well, I put myself in a room with my stepdad and uh, there was a lot. I, I wasn't paying really attention to the to the other students, but I could hear muffled crying. Two students cried so hard and they couldn't control it. They had to leave the classroom. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, they they both they two people ran out of the classroom like bawling. They couldn't handle it, and wow. I was like, "Wow, I didn't know I I had that effect." But I guess, um, yeah, it just um, you know, it, it 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 is it is a form of therapy without a doubt. Like I I remember um, I did a lot of Turkish soaps, and they're very very big all over the world now. I mean, literally the. The people that I was in these soaps with in Turkey right now have like five, ten million followers because they're being sold all over the world. They're like the new Mexican telenovelas. Wow. And um, yeah, interestingly, not a lot of people know this. Turkey is the biggest provider of content in the world outside the U.S. It's second in the world. Really? Yes. And there's a reason for it. It's because our TV shows are about 100 to 120 minutes and we shoot the, and we shoot an episode every week. So that's like shooting a feature film per week. Wow. And uh, yeah. And our TV season is nine months long. Huh. So it's a lot of exercise, a lot of exercise. So it's it's interesting that when I I got asked um, by a casting director. They were like, can you cry on cue? I was like, let me give you versions. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 got, I got really cocky with this. I was like, okay, I'm going to do like one or two tears. I'm going to do more tears and then I'm going to do a full out ball. Wow. I got cocky with it. And I sent it to her and she said, well, my director right now is he's um, he's on he's on location. He's shooting and I'll show it to him later tonight. He said, but if you don't get this job, I don't know anything about casting. And uh, she called later that night. She said, she got the job. I arrived on set and they put me in a chair and the camera's like way over here. And they said that the camera's going, you know, when you start crying, we'll pull the camera in closer and we'll see what we got. The whole shoot was over in under two minutes. I am not kidding. And when it ended, there was applause in the background and the the crew were clapping. And I'm like, why are they clapping? I didn't get it. And and the director came out and cried. He's like, I'd never seen anybody do that before. And I was like, well, in Turkish TV, we do it every day because if you're shooting 18 pages a day, you've got one take or two take to do anything in, whether you're laughing, you're crying. You know what I mean? You don't have one hour to get in mood. You've got three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great exercise in that sense of, you know, if acting is a muscle, well, I, I, I got to uh, – I got to work mine out a lot over there. You so. certainly did. One thing I did want to talk to you about, actually, on a side note, was uh, Turkey. Because as I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. I think, to you, before we got this recording here, um, mm -hmm. I went to Turkey and I went to Istanbul. And I want to tell you real quick about Istanbul, my experience. So my late wife was on Wheel of Fortune and she won. And uh -huh. we took a cruise to Greece, went to Santorini, which was unbelievable. Oh, beautiful. God, yeah. that was amazing. Um, I bet we did Italy, and then and, and then yeah, sure enough, we did Istanbul, and stayed there for a couple of nights. And I mean, first of all, the call to prayers in the morning and the evening throughout the city, uh -huh. magical. 
It is beautiful. Just unbelievable. And we went to the bazaars, of course, and we did the hookah thing, yeah. of course. But I'll tell you this, this is my favorite story ever. So my wife had uh, shock pink hair. You're like a punk rock lady, right? Oh, yeah. And we were walking down the street one day. And uh, as we were walking down on the right-hand side, there was a, a gate opens all of a sudden. And these school kids come running out from school. School's over. And they uh-huh. all, suddenly they see my wife's and they circle around her. And they're staring uh-huh. at her hair. And they not- We've never seen anything like it in their entire life. Okay. No. Uh-huh. And they were walking up to her. It, it was almost like Jane Goodall with like with like the apes, so like walking up to her, you know, like holding her hair and like staring at it and everything. <laughs> and it was it was just such a wonderful um, example of, uh, of of just vastly different cultures. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a huge culture shock because obviously I grew up, I was born and raised in Australia and then moving to Turkey at that age. And, you know, it, it, it was such a culture shock. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. How long were you out in Turkey for? Um, so I went when I was 19 and I left when I was 25. So six years. And then I went back for a few years in, um, when was that? Um, in 2005 for three years, I went back and that's when I was on the sitcom. I was on like the biggest sitcom in Turkey mm-hmm. still to today. Uh, I mean, back then when we aired, we got 50% shares in the ratings and <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. It was so phenomenally successful. And then, um, still today, the reruns are running and it's and it was over ten years ago, and they still land in the top ten of the day. So it was kind of like what Friends was here. So um, that was um, a lot a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I have to say, I saw a little bit of it. That was uh, you posted something about it on Instagram, like a clip, and it was <laughs> it was interesting, honestly, because it was I was watching this, I was like, oh, this is an American sitcom, but they're just speaking in Tur- Turkish. <laughs> yes, well, my character, her name was. Um, uh, Victoria, because she was uh, she was an American Turk, so I spoke Turkish with an American accent, ah. and people thought it was cute and funny, and uh, and people from all ages watched, like little kids watched it, adults watched it, and uh, it's funny because I um, when I I first came to America, uh, this is interesting. I I studied Kabbalah which is a form of spirituality. And obviously my teachers there knew I had this huge level of fame and success in Turkey, but they said to me, you know, just d- don't tell anybody what you do, what you've done, you know, you know, don't, don't talk about it. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, I have no po- po- problem mm-hmm. with humility and being humble and whatever. And it was really funny because one day I was doing some volunteer work in the center and a group of Turkish tourists walked in and they had little kids with them and they saw me and they started screaming with this excitement, Victoria, Victoria, Victoria. (laughs) And everybody at the center turned to me and they were like, huh, we thought your name was Sarah. (laughs) And I was like, and I scurried away. I was like, well, I I don't know. They must have me confused with somebody else. (laughs) And I scurried away, but it was a really funny interaction. (laughs) So uh, here's here's a question that just popped into my head. Um, uh-huh. What do you like about acting? And what do you not like about acting? Um, somebody once said to me that acting is very hard because as an actor, it requires you to be very, very open and very vulnerable. And 
it's almost like having your heart in your sleeve. And that part of acting, I don't have a problem with, interestingly. Um, and that, and then they said the business side of acting requires you to be very tough and very, um, and just kind of all business and, you know, and um, hard. And that's the part of acting that I do not like. <laughs> right. Yes, I like the artistic side. Um, the business side is not that much. Like, it, this is so interesting because I, I just produced my first film. I acted in it and I produced in it. So it required, yep. The, yeah, the surprise. The film is called The Surprise Visit. It's out on Amazon now. And it was a very interesting experience for me because I had to wear a business hat and an artist hat at the same time and interchange between both several times a day. And like as an artist, you really don't like talking money. That is not one of my favorite uh, subjects. Like that's why we have, you know, our agents, our managers, and they do all of that for us. Uh, but as a producer, you have to get over that very quickly. Yeah, you do. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I remember I was involved in negotiations with other, you know, with hiring the other actors because I, I cast the film as well. And, um, where I helped cast it and, um, and I was negotiating and I was like, Oh my God, I love this. You know, and I, I obviously, cause you know, when you hire other actors and you're an actor yourself and you, you know, and they were younger actors, especially. And I felt like, you know, like I was like mom or dad to them, you know, I felt like a responsibility and I was like, well, I want to give them the world, but I don't have that budget. <laughs> And you have to do this kind of, you know, because, you know, as an actor, obviously, you want to give a fellow actor the world. You want to be giving and generous. But then, you know, as a producer, you have a, a certain budget. So I was like, oh, God, I just do not like having these conversations. But, you know, I, I, I got over it. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk actually about uh, Surprise Visit. So um, i got a couple of talk a few things about this. First of all, I noticed that it was based on a true story. You have a story credit. I don't understand the difference between a story credit and the screenwriter thing, which I saw with somebody else. You're the actor. Mm. You're also the producer. So there's a lot of hats involved. And as you just yes. mentioned, that's, that's, you know, its own kind of juggling act. Um, uh -huh. Talk about how you found the story. Because I'll say this. A lot of this podcast is about finding the story, right? Uh -huh. The way that it was described or that I heard it described was, uh, and I say this a lot, that Keith Richards once was asked, how do you write a song, you know, from the Rolling Stones? And he said, you need to be a lightning rod because the story is out there. The song is out there. The fill in the blank is already out there. If you're in tune, mm -hmm. like a tuning mm -hmm. fork, then you can find it. Oh, exactly. I, I would completely agree with that. So we had a different film that we wanted to shoot on this location um and um because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's one it's on one of the historical landmarks of America list um it's it was i think it was built in the 17th century and it's a really stunning property where we shot the the surprise visit and um or an estate uh yeah. for want of a better word it would lend itself very well to a horror film and we wanted to make a horror film there but then the pandemic hit and we figured out very quickly that we weren't going to be able to make this film and then we went to visit the area um, in August, 2020, and we were going to be there for a few months. And my then boyfriend, now husband, who's also the executive producer of the film said, well, we're going to be here a few months. Maybe we should look into, you know, trying to make something here, you know? And so we tried coming up with ideas and we started off with the idea of the strangers, which is a cult horror film. And it's a great one. 
Um, obviously, our film has nothing to do with it, but mm. we started off with the idea. I mean, that would be a great pandemic film because the whole film has three actors in it and all the rest are in masks. Right. I mean, <laughs> that would be a great pandemic film <laughs> because, you know, obviously we didn't want to shoot with a cast and crew of 50 people when, there's, you know, we're pandemic ranging. And this was before vaccines. So we oh. wanted to be very, very cautious. And um, my then boyfriend kept telling me, well, there was this theft that occurred on this property and, you know, and the groundskeeper, who funnily enough, still work there, um, an elderly gentleman. And he was a very, very sweet, old, honest, hardworking kind of salt of the earth guys, wonderful guy. And um, and he actually he passed away from cancer just like two two months ago. But he was the sweetest, sweetest old man. And um he had a son who was a drug addict who decided to break into the property when the family were away and um, and sold all the jewelry they they stole well, I mean so, sold it and for drug money oh. and um, and in real life they ended up going to prison um, I was yep. like okay well that's obviously it was very traumatic for everybody involved but it's not very filmic I mean, we could start off with this idea. So it was based on a true story. So they did break in, but then I introduced an idea saying, well, in the original story, they broke into an empty house, but what if they broke into the house thinking it was empty, but somebody, her daughter, her son, somebody, whoever decided to surprise visit their mom, you know, and then mom was gone for the weekend. You know, they didn't call because obviously a surprise visit and uh, mom was gone. They said, well, we're here. We might as well stay the weekend. So um, so now the house is not empty. And this uh, young couple get accosted in the middle of the night by two drug addict thieves. Um, and then I wanted to explore that idea, which is scary enough in itself. And then I wanted to bring in the idea, well, what if something happened to one of them? You know, sure. now, and then there's a moral dilemma because there's an eyewitness. And if you're of sound mind and body and you had an accident in a home, you'd call the cops and you say, well, there's been an accident. But if you're not, if you're a drug addict and your mind is a little befuddled, well, then you might try and concoct some other schemes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what happens to the eyewitness now? You know, um, so that's, I, I don't want to give away too much. So that's what I, I kind of wanted to start off with a moral dilemma. Like, what do we do? What do we do when our back is against the wall? Yeah. What decisions do we make? That was interesting to explore for me. And um, I think for a woman, it's, uh, it's an easier decision because women give life. And so they're less inclined to want to take. And for a man who's, you know, although, you know, men have their own vulnerabilities as well, you know, when you have a baby on the way, so I added more layers, <laughs> here I am adding more layers, you know, when you have a baby on the way and you're seen as a provider and and your mind, again, is, is on drugs, then what decisions do you make then? Right. So I, I, wanted, I, I wanted everybody to find some empathy with each character, like, you know, the young drug, drug addict woman, you know, she has a baby on the way. So she has a, a set, her own set of motivations 
for doing what she's doing. Um, the drug addict uh, b- man or boy, I want to call him his young man, um, is um, probably the least sympathetic of all characters because of what he's doing. But at the top of the film, you know, you see him at, at his mother's graveyard and he's trying to make the best of, you know, what he's got. You know, obviously he makes some very, very bad decisions given his sta- state of mind, but um He's not a bad kid to start off with. And my character, you know, she, you might see her as somebody who's born with a silver spoon in her mouth. You know, she comes from money. She, she's educated. and um, But at the top of the film, she's lost her dad. She's in mourning. And, uh, you know, whether you're rich or poor, I think mourning is a you know, universal language everybody understands. And then something really horrific happens to her in the course of the film. So... And then you kind of want her to make it. Obviously, you kind of want everybody to make it, but, you know, it's not feasible. It's Sure. It's not sure. <laughs> I, I will say this, too. I think it's interesting. You know, in, the, in the movie, there's that scene with uh, the, the lead actor, the, the drug addict guy, and uh-huh. he is talking to Eric Roberts, which I want to get to in a second as well. It's a really good scene, though, and here's, and, and here's why I wanted to call it out, because – that conversation, it, it, and, and for those of you who haven't seen it, it's this uh, this guy, this drug addict guy. He's talking to his dad, Eric Roberts, and he's saying, "I need more money, and give me more money, and give me more money." And he's saying, "Well, you got to get clean first. And there's that tension back and forth with the family, right? And yeah. I've seen that time and time and time and time again. I mm-hmm. myself, I've 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 gone. I'm in recovery. Been recovering a long time. I work with recovery mm-hmm. addicts, um, and that and that that scene plays out all the time and family. Mm-hmm. This is horrifying mm-hmm. because you're in it that is. situation, you're in that situation with the, you know, Eric Roberts character, the father where he like, you want to provide for him and you love him, but you're you gonna help. That, yeah. that, that illness, that disease is just taking over their body, you know, uh-huh. being possessed when you're an addict and you're, you're, you're jonesing for your drug or your alcohol or whatever that looks like you're possessed. I think sometimes mm-hmm. almost, you know, spiritually, metaphorically, whatever, but you have uh-huh. to have that, and you're willing to sacrifice absolutely anything to get it, including the family relationships. But that puts uh-huh. families in these incredibly untenable positions where they want to uh-huh. help them, but they also have to understand healthy boundaries and all that. That played uh-huh. out really well in the script. So I wanted to give you kudos for that because that's exactly how uh-huh. it went down. Exactly. I, I, I felt that. that, that uh, funnily enough, that was the audition scene that I chose for the characters for that role because it was it was a beautiful scene and it had to be played just right because, again, as you said, and this is funny because this got mentioned by, you know, when we first released the film, we did some press on it and we had reviewers. And I had one reviewer whose father was a drug addict and he said, when I watched that scene, it made me cry because – that was my life with my dad because he would come to us for money and, you know, and you want to help them and they're hungry and they're not eating. And you know that, but any money or help you give them is going to go to drugs. So there's always this internal battle of do I help them? Do I not? What do I do? Because it's a loved one and it's so hard. I can't, I can't imagine like my heart goes out to Anybody who's who's suffered from addiction or has family members suffering from it, it has to be one of the most difficult things ever. I can't I can't imagine. It's it's really difficult, and I, I it was really well done over there. <clears throat> now let's discuss Eric Roberts. 
holy shit. <laughs> so I'm watching this thing, right? Like, you know, because you, you gracefully sent me over uh, the film to watch. And as again, I loved it. It was wonderful. I loved seeing, because when Eric Roberts popped on, I'm like, holy fuck, it's Eric Roberts. And uh-huh. what was so great was, so, um, you know, I went backwards. And so I started watching Runaway Train again, which is like 1985 movie, you know, with John Voight. Like, unreal. Uh-huh. Best train movie ever. I watched. Ever. Uh-huh. Star 80, as we mentioned earlier before we were talking. Bob Fosse. Uh-huh. Masterpiece of a film. And I kind uh-huh. of forgot, actually, too. And, uh, you know, he was in The Dark Knight. Forgot about that. Huge role. Uh-huh. Over Greenwich Village. All that stuff. Uh-huh. And what I really like about him, and from you know, kind of did some research beyond all that, and it seems to me like the guy just likes to work. He does. Yeah, he does. He I, And I asked him, I said, you know, you work so much. He said, I'm living my best life. I work every day. I mean, you know, whether it's an A film, a B film, I mean, I I just love doing what I do. And I think that his, his CV is a testament to his love of cinema and nothing else. Nothing else in my mind. Like, he just loves the craft and um and i love him for it <laughs> yeah and As a fellow film lover i love him for it yeah just incredible and it goes back to something that i've always noticed that if you're a true artist you have to mm-hmm. create if you don't create you die yeah because yeah. you're possessed you're possessed in a sense by being an artist and that's your, uh-huh. that's your thing and if you don't have that's what provides meaning and i think meaning is really yeah. what this podcast sometimes can be about at least hopefully and if you yeah. have that continual expression of who you are, whatever that venue mm-hmm. may be, you will, in mm-hmm. a sense, die. You'll die from addiction. You'll die from suicide. You'll die from a yeah. long, corroded heart over a long period of time, whatever that looks like. And I think uh-huh. that's what drives people. That's that muse. That's that motivation. Exactly. And 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 what I, I, I really love about him is that he um, – I mean, he's he's had an amazing career. I mean, he's been nominated for an Oscar. He's been nominated for a Golden Globe. I mean, he's done it all. And um, there's kind of like a childlike joy that he brings, which is so phenomenal. It's so fresh. Like, it, it's never left him. And uh, I was so happy that he got great reviews for this for his role in this film because yep. – you know, we it, he he's kind of typecast in these roles, and I think he's an actor who can do anything. And um, and it was uh, you know it, it was it was refreshing to see him outside of you know um, the um, the roles that he gets typecast for. It, it was it was really well done for him. And speaking of acting, so I want to go back to this, or I want to ask this question because um, it's mm-hmm. just it's just I was reading something about this last night actually, and. You know, there's that whole thing of method acting versus not method acting. Uh-huh. Some people do it. Some people don't. I don't understand uh-huh. much about any of this stuff. Could you illuminate a little bit of that acting world for me? So I um, method acting, I, I, I think whenever I get asked about, you know, what methods I prefer, I'm like um, a mixture. It's like whatever works for you. You know, some some scenes or some characters you might prefer Meisner. You some other ones you might prefer prefer method. I think you need to kind of find what works for you. Uh, method acting is is mainly putting yourself in the circumstances of your character, and um, and so it requ- it's it it can be very very hard on your system. Um, 
I mean, I, speaking from experience, like I played a battered housewife uh, for a, a soap I did in Turkey, and I, I was consistently abused by my husband and beaten, and uh, it was nasty. And I and I was literally crying every day. And I think eventually it kind of led to a, a kind of a dark place for me to keep yourself in that kind of mode. Um, I mean, it's, it's okay if you have to do it for, you know, a couple hours a day huh? and you can get out, but if you're doing it for, you know, 18 hours a day, every day, uh, yeah. it can be a little overwhelming to your system. Um, so I kind of like to go with, um, an interaction. I think it was between Dustin Hoffman and Sir Lawrence Olivier, and they were doing a scene and, um, and, uh, I think Dustin Hoffman and he's very method and he had to, uh, he had to come in cold from somewhere. So they were shooting at this hotel or something. And I'm not sure if I have the exact details. So he locked himself in the, you know, in the cold fridge of the hotel, you know, they have those walk-in fridges, like a meat room. So he locked himself in there before he was to do his scene. And, and Sir, Sir Lawrence Olivia found him like literally five minutes before they were going into the scene. And he's sitting there shivering because he's been sitting in a fridge for like half an hour and he's like, well, what, what did you do, my son? And he says, well, you know, I had to do this for my scene and I wanted to feel that, you know, and, and put myself in those situation in that same situation because, you know, my method. And Sir Lawrence, Lawrence Olivier looked at him and said, well, why don't you just try acting, my dear son? <laughs> yes. I actually know that story. I know that story very, very well. And it is oh, did I repeat it correctly? It's from the movie Marathon Man. Actually. Marathon Man. I was going to say Marathon Man. I thought it was that, but I, I didn't want to. Yeah, that is exactly yeah. the story. My son, it's called acting. Yeah. It's so it's so great because it kind of it kind of did. I mean, it shows the disparity of that kind of style, right? Like you've got exactly. You know, there's a lot of them. Like uh, Daniel Day Lewis, uh, if you know, famous for only referring to me as like character on you know when you're on the set. And, um, yeah, a lot of these people really. Heath Ledger, you know, really went down the rabbit hole, and I'm sure it had a lot to do with his uh, his death with just that character uh-huh. as well. But that I'm so glad you brought that marathon man thing up because that's exactly what yeah. I was already going to say about this. So you already heard me. <laughs> I'm psychic, Jeff. I'm psychic. <laughs> you absolutely are. That's my favorite line because Sir Louis Olivier, who's obviously been down that road a billion times as an actor older than Hoffman of like, oh, come on, it's acting, buddy. Come on, relax. <laughs> yeah. These days I don't I don't I don't take myself so seriously. I mean, yeah, there are some elements of, you know, I mean, um like I on the TV show that I played the battered bruised, uh, bruised housewife um and every time before we did a scene the makeup artist would come with an eyedropper and i would say no i got it no i got it and one day my director asked me he said you know i i'm fascinated as to how you can do this where do you go you know in your head and i told him and then i couldn't use it anymore it was really good because then i got self-conscious because then i was like oh he knows why i'm crying uh-huh. so so now I've learned that and I don't tell anybody. Um, so there are certain certain things you can pull on, um, but you don't also want to make it about you so much, you know? Uh, yeah, because it's, it's you're portraying another character. Right. Um, so so I, I like to find a bit of balance. Yes, there's some acting and, um, and, and some method too. This may be the first time in podcast history that that, uh, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Marathon Man, uh, story was told. Congratulations. 
Oh, I love that story. That's one of my favorites. I'm like, nah, you don't, you don't, you know, sometimes actors take themselves too seriously. I'm like, you sorry. My favorite story ever. Actually, I will say this, actually. I did read one time that uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and um, what was her name? It was uh, in the Lincoln movie. um, And uh, it was, oh, come on, Daniel Day-Lewis and Sally. Sally. Right. Yes. Sally Field was playing his wife in the movie, and they were in character the whole time, super method. And apparently they were texting each other back and forth with things like texting in character some nights saying, like, what is this infernal machine that we're texting on? Like, guys, come on. I mean, Uh, yeah. Love Sally Field. Love the process. Love Daniel Day-Lewis. Love the process. Not my thing. But yeah, I am neither of those. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I don't believe in such extremes. No, I, I, I like to find a, a little bit of both, you know, it does tend to. Yeah. Help. Um, okay. Yeah. Next question here. This is gonna be the, this is gonna be the fun ones before we wrap this sucker up. Um, okay. Here we go. I want to know what your f- favorite actors, give me like three male, female, of course, whatever, and movies. Ooh. Um, Marlon Brando on the waterfront. Oh, good call. Uh-huh. One of my favorite. I mean, I, I, every time I watch that scene in the back of the car, like I could have been a contender. Why like did a contender. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. gets me every time. Famous. I mean, he was, he was phenomenal. He was phenomenal. Um, God, I've got so many. Literally, whenever I get asked my favorite films, I give people a list of like 20. I can't come <laughs> Yo, up with one. Well, time for three. <laughs> oh man! Um, oh, okay. Um, so currently, I'm really loving Viola Davis and Jessica Chastain. Both of them. Oh, um, I'm a big fan of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're like you know current current favorites with the with the females. Um, I was really rooting for Jessica Chastain to win an Oscar for Eyes of Tammy Faye because she did a phenomenal job. Yeah, and if and if the lost daughter had won anything, I would have I would have protested the Oscars. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I was like, come on, you wait a whole film for something happen to happen, and it, somebody gets stuck by a hat pin. You want me to cry right. into my cereal over that? <laughs> seriously, I'm like, it was a nothing burger. It was a nothing burger. I couldn't nothing believe the, the hoopla that people created over this film. I mean, like, yeah. really, you know, yeah, you know. Oh God, I th- I thought it was just uh, uh uh you know, and I'm for all for intellectualism in films. I've had amazing discussions with people like Peter Bogdanovich and and you know some of my favorite directors and writers, and you know I can talk film for hours, but this film was just none of that. I'm none. sorry, it was so pretentious. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I went into a diatribe, but oh, yeah, good. I was really happy. Jessica Chastain, I was a Tammy. Fa- I-, I loved her in Molly's Game. Oh. I mean, she would I have, love her film. I would have loved to play. I love those strong female characters. She's um, incredible. Zero Dark Thirty. She was amazing in that too. I know she's a powerhouse. That yeah. woman. I love her. Um, I mean, I could say Meryl Streep, but that's just so. It's. I mean, that goes without. Saying. Of course, that's like saying the Beatles or the Beach Boys. The Rolling Stones. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, who else am I thinking? Ooh, um, uh, another one of my favorites, Carrie Mulligan, oh. and Education. 
And education, I watched that film and went, wow, if this girl doesn't get something for this, I do not know anything about film. And it was her first breakout role, and she got nominated for an Oscar. I was like, there you go. That's right. There you go. That's right. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And then Far From the Madding Crowd and the last one, the what was it, The Thing Girl? Um, um, the last one she got nominated for. Oh, God, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Um, was She was phenomenal in that. Um, uh, uh, what else? Give me um, one more actor and then we'll move on to movies. Uh, or movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One second. I'm just thinking. Um, um, no, I was just trying to remember the. Oh, Promising Young Woman. That's the name of the Carrie Mulligan film. That uh, was a great film. Yeah. And, but educate and educate everything she's been in. She's been fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm going to circle back to it. Can I circle, back, circle to back to it? You can circle back, like Jen Psaki says on the White House press conference. Why don't okay. we uh, give me give me one movie and then go back to uh, an actress and then we'll wrap this sucker up. Deal? Okay. Um, old Boy, but the original. Oh, the Korean version. Yes, of oh. course. Never a remake. Wow. Never a remake. Like, why would you remake that? Why would you remake Straw Dogs? Wow. Why? Oh, that's right. They did make they did remake Straw Dogs, didn't they? I know. It was sacrilegious. Are you kidding me? What the who did that actually? Who 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 did the remake of Straw Dogs? Um I'm uh-huh. it up right now. It was remade in 2021 by what do we got here? We've got uh, Kate Bosworth was in it. That's right. James Martin was in it. Rod Lurie directed it. Yeah, there was there was no mm-hmm. point. To that. <laughs> there was just no point. Lovely, huge conversation I've had with you. Um, I do want to do a last yeah. plug, that, and and that is at the yes, the surprise visit, which is available uh-huh. on Amazon. Did I do that correctly? You want to add anything to it? Yes. Yes, we got we got a limited theatrical release, and then it's been available on Apple TV, Amazon, just about every VOD there is out there. Yeah, it is inspired, minds approved. If I had like a rubber stamp, I'd right now on the podcast. It's great, it, really wonderful, and thank you so much for doing this with me. Now, what we're going to do finally to wrap this little sucker up is a little thing that I mm-hmm. like to do, where uh, it takes a little bit of acting skills, which you clearly have. Perhaps you can even cry on cue, and this little parting, this fake parting that we're going to have because what's going to happen is i'm going to say goodbye you're going to say goodbye we're going to pretend mm-hmm. to hang up i'm going to quote unquote hang up and then we're going to keep talking after i'm done recording fair enough okay okay so here we go and slate and scene hey everybody thank you so much uh for listening to this podcast sarah honestly what a wonderful conversation i've had with you i always get so much out of these things and thank you for uh, the inspiration stuff, but also, too, honestly, thanks for bringing up uh, the uh, Marathon Man, Sir Lawrence Olivier story on, on the show, because, you know, that's like gold. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I love having conversations about film and um, and other creatives and um, and and talking to you was was fun. And again, thank you for having me. Of course. So. Uh, We're going to do a little, okay, so I'm going to say goodbye and ready, three, two, click.